Chapter Twelve of Find the Woman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Find the Woman by Gillette Burgess. Chapter Twelve: A Harlem Lodging House, describing Fenton's return home in a top hat, and how he was welcomed by a friend and a letter, and how he profited by each of them. The sky was streaked red with the flush of dawn when John Fenton emerged from the Norcross apartments and set out at last for his home. There was no hurry now. He had no further fear of pursuit. O'Shea and Flint were in custody, and Sproul had proved his honesty. So with the leather bag of jewels buttoned snugly under his waistcoat, Fenton decided to walk. He had much to think over. The events of the past night passed before his eyes like a dazzling, incredible, moving picture show but ever in and out of its fantastic scenes appeared and disappeared a mysterious fascinating heroine belle charmion would she ever re-enter his melodrama some intuition told him that she would that in some strange way their lives were entangled and the threads of their destinies must meet again the fresh cool air revived him and he strode along with as much spirit as if he had but just awakened from a restful night as the sun rose it grew warmer there was a touch of spring in the air it sent his spirit several degrees higher he grew more boyish and swung along whistling a lively march so down broadway boulevard all the way to one hundred and twenty-fifth street and then eastward as he approached his boarding-house one of a row of dreary-looking wooden buildings with high stoops painted each one a separate colour lead and molasses yellow and brown he saw with surprise that someone was sitting on the front steps drinking from a milk-bottle who was it the figure was familiar and something about the jaunty audacious attitude still more so fenton stopped to watch the man rose and waved a newspaper it was jack richmond the star reporter of the item fenton's heart sank for a moment he was inclined to turn and escape rather than encounter this persistent news-gatherer he feared the reporter's inquisition once on the scent of a story fenton knew well enough that the man would not soon let go but richmond could not easily be evaded fenton knew that well enough too he could run and he could fight as well as he could question fenton's momentary indecision settled the question at any rate for richmond came running up before fenton could flee well by jove you've decided to show up at last have you richmond called jovially i've been waiting two solid hours for you and i'm nearly frozen stiff if a milkman hadn't happened past i'd have been starved as well say you seem to have gone up in the world some old man some different from that highlander costume with broken egg-shells for stockings and he tapped fenton's white tie where in the devil have you been i'd like to know he took fenton's arm familiarly and walked toward the boarding-house where have you been fenton asked i have as good a right to ask as you he tried to shake himself loose but richmond held him close what are you chasing me for anyway he demanded sullenly because i want that story said the reporter the jewel robbery you know oh that was all a fake fenton began bosh but how about that locket fenton stopped suddenly well so far as that goes how about belle charmion 
Who is she? Where is she? What do you know about her? Where is the locket? What have you found out? Where did you go? Where can I find her? Richmond laughed and laughed. Say, you ought to be a reporter, not me. You could beat Lee Hung Chang for questions. See here, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll swap you story for story. You tell me what you've been up to, and I'll tell you where I've been. Fenton hesitated. I'm afraid I can't, Richmond. You see, it isn't my story. It mustn't get into the papers. It's a question of honor. See here, old man, Richmond drew him down on the doorsteps. You don't seem to be on to this newspaper game. I'm as keen for news as anyone in the business, but I'm a gentleman as well, and when I give a promise, I'll keep it. Not a word will be published that you don't consent to. If you know anything about the ethics of the profession, you ought to know that any information is safer with a good newspaper man than with anyone else in the world. Why, the President of the United States tells things to correspondents in Washington that politicians would give their heads to know, and that confidence has never been violated in the history of journalism. I'll just remark that I'm straight. The reporter's manner put Fenton's mind at rest. After all, it would be a great relief to get such a man's help and advice. All right, he said. Go ahead first, though. Tell me about Belcharmian. Good. It isn't too much, old man, but here goes. It's this way. Early this forenoon, we got the tip from police headquarters that a man named Gordon Brewster had committed suicide in his house on West 72nd Street. There was something funny about it, and I was sent out on the story. The coroner had viewed the remains, and he had had the body removed to an undertaker's place on Broadway, because there was nobody there in the house. That's the first queer thing. The caretaker had skipped out while the cops were there. The only relative was his half-sister, your beauteous friend Belcharmian. What's the matter? Belcharmian is Gordon Brewster's half-sister, Fenton cried. Why not? Didn't you know it? Why shouldn't she be? Like an electric shock, the thought swept through Fenton's mind. The jewels, then, were perhaps Belcharmian's, stolen from her by her half-brother. But he dared not speak yet. Go on, he said, but he was almost too dazed, too occupied with this new light on the mystery, to listen to Richmond. Well, said the reporter, Miss Charmian was missing. Why? At first I scented some mystery, but it was simple enough. She and Brewster never did get on very well together, and they quarreled about two months ago, and Miss Charmian went with her maid to the Hotel Plaza and took a suite there. I found this out from a Harry Hay, who was Brewster's most intimate friend. Hay had heard that Miss Charmian was interested in settlement work down on the east side, and so I hiked down to see my friend, the middle-class girl I told you about, Mrs. Petrovsky, formerly Miss Bessie Baker, for a tip as to Miss Charmian's probable whereabouts. Mrs. P. knows the whole east side, especially the uplifters connected with the settlement, and I finally caught Miss Charmian, as you saw. Now comes the funny part. You saw me meet her. I began to speak of her half-brother, but before I had a chance to tell her what had happened, and what I wanted, she asked me who you were. She wanted to know who I was? Fenton could scarcely believe it. Yes, and she took your address as well. I walked along with her, and we talked as we went. She said she was in a great hurry, 
going up town. But all the same, she had time to pump me about you. Well, I knew very little but your interest in the locket, which I showed her. She got excited when she saw it. I couldn't understand why, but I had no time to figure it out. I told her that her half-brother had sent me down to find her, and he wanted to see her immediately. She said that was impossible. She had an engagement that night. Going up to a reception at the Morgans, she said. Lucky I caught the name. Well, I didn't want to blurt it out that her half-brother was lying dead in an undertaker's shop on Upper Broadway. So I thought I'd break it to her easy. You know, let it out a little at a time. So I walked along, and she kept asking about you. We went down the subway entrance, and I bought two tickets just as a train came along. We ran for it. She had just time to slip in, and I was following right behind her, when a big fellow came along behind me like he was shot out of a thirteen-inch gun. Bing! He bowled me over, and my hat fell off. Bing again! The door was shut by the guard, and the train pulled out. What do you know about that? Pretty lumpy work for a star reporter, eh? She got away? With the locket. Fenton stared at the reporter thoughtfully. And she wanted to know about me. Do you wonder I wanted to find you again? So you haven't seen Miss Charmian since? Fenton inquired, ignoring the remark. You wait. I telephoned to the office that I had fallen down on the story, and there was some rough talk from the city editor. He said he'd try to locate her somehow and meanwhile he ordered me to look up a girl Gordon Brewster was supposed to be engaged to. One of our hotel men had phoned in that he had seen her in the King William Hotel, where she had registered as Miss Green. That looked funny, too, so I went after it. Say, I'd like to have omitted that. He passed his hand across his forehead. Fenton's heart sank with foreboding. He remembered the last glance the octoroon had given him. It was tragic in its despair. It could mean but one thing, he knew, and the question leaped to his lips. Suicide? For heaven's sake, how should you guess that? Richmond demanded. Oh, I knew her. Tell me about it. I asked for her, and the girl phoned up. No answer. Well, I had to see her. They rang again and again, and then I went up on the elevator with a cab driver who said Miss Green had cheated him out of his fare. The minute I reached the door, I smelled gas and suspected what had happened. I went down, got the hotel detective. We went back with one of the clerks, and they smashed the transom and put a boy through. Well, I've seen dead bodies enough. I ought to be used to it. But she got me some way. You say you knew her. Yes, said Fenton quietly. She was a wonderful woman, I think. Yes, I wonder if Brewster knew. You mean that she was not white? For God's sake, did you know? Richmond demanded. Nobody else ever did, so far as I can find out, in the wide world. She told me that she had Negro blood, Fenton replied. Yes, well, some people might have thought it merely ridiculous. The hotel clerk did. But somehow, she did have a fine face, you know, and the expression was beautiful, exquisite somehow. I don't know, it made me feel like a kid. The old story no color line in heaven, and all that sort of thing. Rich and poor alike in his sight. Confound it, I tell you, I couldn't think of anything but that, thank God, it was all over for her. The contempt and the scorn and the, oh well, everything. 
No, I couldn't laugh when I saw that pretty blonde wig twisted off her head, showing the nigger kinky wool underneath. I don't know, it was a piece of symbolism, I suppose, and the star reporter of the item, in his embarrassment at such sentimental confession, delved in his pocket for a cigarette. Fenton himself had too much to think about to speak. Richmond lighted his cigarette and blew out a cloud of smoke. Well, I wrote the story and sent it down to the office. There wasn't much that could be said, and as we couldn't find out anything from her about Brewster, it became absolutely necessary to get hold of Miss Charmion. Luckily, I remember that she said she was going to some reception at the Morgans. But what Morgans? Do you know that there are exactly thirty-five Morgans with residence telephones? not to speak of those in apartment houses whose names are not in the book. Well, I eliminated about twenty, and then began ringing up the other fifteen. It was after twelve that I found the right one, and had a talk with Miss Charmian. I had to tell her right out what was up. You can't mince matters much over a wire. Of course, she was terribly agitated to hear her half-brother was dead while she was at a reception, and she hung up before I could ask her when I could see her. I didn't have the nerve to call her up again, and I decided to wait till this morning to interview her. Now, Mr. Fenton, I'm ready to listen to your yarn. Let's come up to my room first, said Fenton, and he opened the front door and led the way up two flights of narrow stairs, past alcoves decorated with dusty plaster casts, along smelly, shabby little halls where they could hear lodgers still snoring to a small bedroom on the third floor. As he threw open the door, he noticed a note on the floor that had been pushed under the crack. He stooped and picked it up, read it, then handed it to the reporter. Well, what do you think of that? he said in surprise. Richmond read it aloud. Will Mr. John Fenton be kind enough to call at number 300 West 72nd Street at his very earliest opportunity and greatly oblige Miss Belle Charmian? Well, he said, I thought she seemed remarkably interested. I suppose she wants to return the locket. Fenton shook his head. I'm afraid it's more serious than that, he said. By Jove, I can imagine what she thinks of me this time. See here, Richmond, I've got to tell you the whole thing now anyway, and you've got to help me out. She wants to see me because she thinks I've stolen the Brewster family jewels. Richmond jumped off the bed in triumph. Aha, then that tale of yours wasn't a fake after all, he said. Well, did you steal them, old man? For a moment Fenton hesitated, studying the reporter's face. In it he saw, with all its sharpness and eagerness, a rare kindness and sympathy. He felt confidence in the man, and he needed a friend. With a quick gesture he took the leather bag from its hiding place and emptied the contents upon his table outrolled the jewels, and spread in a glittering mass before the reporter's eyes. There, said Fenton calmly, how's that for circumstantial evidence? Richmond gasped. But I thought you said they had been stolen from you. Richmond, you may not believe it. I can hardly believe it myself. But I found these jewels three times this night, and lost them twice. Then, as the reporter's brown eyes drew together in an expression of incredulity, Fenton began with the story of the eventful evening. He told of his visit to the fortune-tellers, and of the raid, his discovery of the octoroon, 
and how she had confided the jewels to his care his escape to Sheffield hall and the story she had told him there of gordon brewster's death how she and harry hay had carried the dead body to west seventy-second street and of their subsequent discovery of brewster's theft of the jewels then he narrated his own promise and attempt to deliver them and his failure the description of how he was chloroformed robbed and left in the pigeon-loft brought him to the liars club where he had first met richmond ah said richmond that restores my faith in my own powers of observation i was sure that first tale of yours was true you see why this story can never be printed though fenton asked anxiously i'm not a cad richmond replied simply but go on that's a pretty lively start see if you can keep up the pace fenton smiled keep it up he said it isn't over yet i won't wake up probably till i see belle charmion he went on to tell of his visit with elkhurst alias sproule to the astor hotel and of mrs elkhurst's appearance and story proving her husband to be one of the gang that was on the trail of the jewels her information had led him downtown to the st paul building where he discovered the jewels with the murdered body of the bogus count capricorni by jove richmond cried there's a story anyway i'll wire that in immediately over the phone there's a good chance we can get a scoop on that murder for the first afternoon edition and he was off downstairs to the telephone while fenton restored the brewster jewels to the velvet bag and pored over belcharmion's note at richmond's return fenton completed the night's adventures with an account of his meeting miss charmion at the morgan's reception and his afterward innocently handing over the jewels to the very gang that had been after them sproule elkhurst's escape and his confiding of the jewels again to fenton's care finished the narrative and now he concluded what am i to do i must return the jewels to miss charmion immediately of course but she will have to know that her half-brother stole them i wish i could spare her that for the sake of that poor girl who has just committed suicide richmond thought it over let's see he began you say that the caretaker flint discovered the safe door open did he lock it that's the question he may have just shut it without locking the combination and so it's possible for us to open the door i don't say it's probable but it's worth trying see here suppose i go with you to see miss charmion i've got to talk with her anyway and i'll see what i can do about it we'll just wait our chance it may come or it may not at any rate you can trust me he grasped fenton's hand and shook it warmly but if miss charmion should know the jewels are gone she may have looked in the safe already said fenton that's unlikely why should she suspect anything she's much too disturbed probably fenton pointed to the note she's not too disturbed to write to me at any rate what else would she want to see me for the locket of course said richmond there's some mystery there you'd better tell me something more about it fenton briefly sketched his own remarkable biography his life with the o'sheas and later with dr hopbottom finally he mentioned sproule's story of the courtney kidnapping and his own memory of the little girl on the ferry-boat that's it you are bruce courtney and that little girl was belle charmion of course and she suspects somehow who you really are by jove let's hurry it's eight o'clock she'll surely be up by this time i want to see the denouement 
Fifteen minutes afterward, Fenton having plunged into a cold bath and changed his evening clothes for his own modest business suit, the two young men set out, blithe and enthusiastic, for West 72nd Street. Richmond discoursed upon the events of the night and the material he would find therein for stories for the item without violating the confidence of the dead octoroon. Fenton did not listen. His thoughts were only of Belcharmion, whom fate, after having tossed across his path so many times, was perhaps now preparing to link still more closely to his life. He had gone far with his emotions that night, and now he found himself thinking of her as actually his. What else could mean that mysterious attraction he had felt when he first saw her portrait, at the thrill the first sight of her gave him, his agitation at the first sound of her voice? Belle Charmian, the name rang in his ears like a bell. Why, it seemed as if he had known her always. It seemed as if, when he saw her, words would be unnecessary, as if she too must know that they too were made for one another. And so he walked as if on air. Richmond's talk had turned to baseball and theatres. Fenton heard not a word. End of chapter 12